fundamental basis of critical thought is being able to have an idea in this hand and then an opposing idea in this hand and be able to think through both of them without attacking them. When you ask me, how do I know? Um, my honest response to that is I don't. You know, C.S. Lewis famously made the comment that if hell is locked, it's only locked from the inside. Welcome into our second episode of our 20 plus podcast. My name is Logan. I'm the pastor of this ministry. And the excerpts that you just heard were from our culture combos titled Questions for God. We had special guests with us, Pastor Chris Book, who's our executive pastor of River Valley, Clint Reddy, who is our connections director, and Dr. Alan Tennyson from North Central University answering questions that we had from Instagram as well as people live in the audience that you'll be hearing from as well. And so we're going to be splitting this up into two parts since there was so much awesome uh, stuff that was talked about. And so first you'll be hearing excerpts from the interview at our east side region with Pastor Chris Book as well as our west side region with Clint Reddy. And I know you're going to enjoy it a lot. So listen in. It's going to be great. You'll be hearing first from Chris Book being interviewed by Noah at our east side region. Enjoy. Uh, what would be the strongest argument against Christianity that you know of, and how would you answer it? I think Christians are the biggest argument against Christianity. I mean, really, the way we act. Yeah. If, if the Bible says they're going to know us by our love, it doesn't say they're going to know us by our political stances. It doesn't say they're going to know us by what we like and don't like, what we keep in and what we keep out. The Bible says they're going to know us by people. You know, people are going to know who we are by our love. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do think that. Like, sometimes Christians get so self-righteous, myself included. So I'm not like, all oh, these people, no, myself right. included. Look in the mirror, right? So that, that, to me, is the biggest argument. And the biggest antidote to that is just remembering that moment before salvation. The moment where you, you just felt worthless, that moment where am I worthless? I mean, like I am not worthy of the grace of God right. and we're not, and I'm not. And yet he chose it anyway. So, um, that, I mean, honestly, that's, and, and you look at Christianity and like Christianity is under attack in culture, right? There's no question, but so is most organized religion at this point. And so you, you could point to the, the systematic side of Christianity and you, you could point all these things that are wrong with it. And you go, that's the worst but it's the worst until you compare it to other organized religions. And you go, that's even worse. Okay, there's something over here, and it's Jesus, right? So the, the biggest argument against Christianity are Christians that forget Jesus. That's what it is. <laughs> really going far here. <laughs> um, well, my name is Megan. Um, so the... Um, you were talking about this earlier. You had a lot of job changes when you came into role as a pastor. How did you stay faithful to God during all those changes? Like during those times, I feel like it can be easy to come become frustrated with God. Yeah. And how did you stay faithful to Him during those times and close with Him? It was actually the most fun time. So it was super easy for me. What I hated was my last two years at my first job. Hated it because. I went from having this great relationship with my pastor to, you know, I still, I still wasn't like necessarily enjoying the job, but at least we had a good relationship to he and I were just butting heads all the time. 
And so that transition was like this freeing experience where I was like, cool, now I get to go to this other church and I reinvented myself. Can you imagine going from a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, Assemblies of God church with like 50 years of tradition to a Lutheran church? You reinvent. Like you, you just, you get to look at yourself in a whole new way and, and you get to know, you get to know other Christians and, and like Lutherans just have a very different systematic theology than we do. And it was awesome. It was this really freeing thing. And so when I left that church and then planted my church, I got to reinvent myself all over again. It's like, cool, I get to learn all kinds of new things. So for me, that there was no, there really, I mean, there's the, there's the doubt is in, like we planted a church. Is anyone going to come? Like, I really right. hope so. <laughs> like, I really hope people look at my leadership and say they want to sit under it. Um, so, th- of course, there's some of that as you step out in faith. But really, the way I looked at it is this amazing time to reinvent. And you get to see a different side of yourself. You get to explore this different side of God. You get to meet different people. All that kind of thing. So I, that's how I'd say that. But another would say that the science community is recently become more and more of a pushback against Christianity because if the more they can take away from the majestic, like the majestic acts of God in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and um, the way in which Christ was risen from the dead, right? Those things taken away, right? Christ is the center point of our whole faith. If that's taken away, the whole thing comes crumbling down, right? So how... How do those things, those two things, science and faith, go together? And in what ways do you feel like they clash? Well, I mean, you start out with the fundamental belief that God created everything, right? Yeah. So God created math. God created science. So we're going to get to heaven someday, and we're going to see not the differences. We're going to see the likenesses. We're going to... I just... Like I said, I, I probably err on the side of being a little too positive at times, but I think we're going to get to heaven and go, that's what they meant by evolution. That makes a lot more yeah. sense. Oh, so I don't know. Is it intelligent design? Is it evolution? Is it creation? Does it matter? I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I guess I don't major on the minors when it comes to things like that. Now, um, at the end of the day, I think God created us and he formed us out of nothing. So I don't think I came from a single cell amoeba. I, I, you know, sure. But at the same time, I'm not, what am I trying to say here? I know I, I have friends that are scientists, right? I have friends, I have agnostic friends. I have agnostic friends, I have atheistic friends. I have, I have friends in, in a lot of different pockets and, and very few of them if they're honest, would say that science disproves God. Mm-hmm. The, the, bigger, the bigger challenge, I think, to the Christian faith is actually the new atheists. That's a different, because what they, what they tend to do is they, take to, they tend to take the faith and use, use the things in science that might be in question right now, in progress, as we're trying to figure these things out, and then make a, make a dogma out of them. So the things that the church used to be accused of, let's say 30, 40 years ago, like, oh, it's so dogmatic, you say it's only this way, it's the only way to believe, that's what the new atheists are doing right now. That they're, they're saying this is the only way to believe, and if you don't believe this, you're an idiot, right? And, make, and like, if you get into, like, if you've read any of the new atheism, if you've, like, the logical, just the sophistic arguments, right? The, the, the illogical end of what they're talking about. You go, this can't make any sense. How, how, how can anyone possibly be for this? Logically, 
let alone let alone any kind of faith sense. And so I don't I, I don't look at science and faith as incompatible. I think there's a lot of times, you know, I don't think science and faith are doing this all the time. Yeah. I think they're doing this a lot of the time because I don't think we have the full picture. Yeah. I, I, I really don't. So um, I, I, I don't. I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I'm not. I'm theologically trained. I'm not scientifically trained. And so, yeah. I tend to think that, you know, Big Bang, God said it, and bang, it happened, kind of thing. I had this T-shirt in high school that said that. I always thought that was really funny. But, but God spoke things into existence. And so, if God spoke things into existence, and we believe that creation happened in a moment, like the world happened in a moment, well, wouldn't it make sense then that the bang, the and I'm not, please, I'm not making any, <laughs> any scientific statements here. But you just go. Maybe the Big Bang was. Maybe that was real. Maybe that was God orchestrating that. I don't know. I mean, I'm again, I'm not scientifically trained. Mm-hmm. I'm theologically trained, but I just leave enough open in my mind to say to say this could happen. And, and if I could go off on a tangent here for a second, the greatest problem our culture has, forget Christianity, is the lack of people being able to think critically about things. The fundamental basis of critical thought is being able to have an idea in this hand and then an opposing idea in this hand and be able to think through both of them without attacking them, right? We can't do that as a culture anymore. You can't see, you don't see it in politics. You don't, you, you, you just see, there's so few areas where you, where you can just have an intelligent conversation about opposing viewpoints without people getting angry. Literally, I'm walking in, and I've got someone texting me. There's a, there's a not at work, some other people that got in this fight and over the dumbest thing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys are both right. How dumb are you that you guys don't see that you're both right? And because you're both right, you're, you're sticking to your viewpoint. You're not even opening your mind to the other person. When just picking up the phone instead of blowing each other up over email would have been what you needed to do. So I just think Christians should be the ones who can think the most critically. We should be the ones who could go talk to the new atheists. We could be the ones to engage in the scientific conversation. One of the things that really excited me about coming to River Valley, most of the churches I served at, I served at four. The it seemed like, and I don't, I don't even mean this critically, but it's going to sound critical. I don't mean it this way. It seemed like the goal was to get as many people into ministry in the churches as possible. And I always thought that sounded a little weird. Like our goal is to go to the highways and the byways, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Our goal is to be a light in the culture. And if everyone's going into ministry, if everyone wants my job, right. we're not going to be out there all that much, right? And so. So one of the things that always that I always admired about River Valley from afar was all the people who are activated. Their, their faith is activated in the marketplace, yeah. in their neighborhoods. The faith was just this very normal, talking about your faith, having a faith was just this very normal thing in your entire life. And I still admire that about this place. Challenges me and my neighborhood all the time. And so my point in saying all that is, is when we're getting into, whether it be debates with people or we're sharing our faith with someone who may not think like us, act like us, look like us, dress like us, do anything like us. We can still be loving and still have critical thought, right? We don't have to be mindless lemmings right. who just attack things that we don't understand. And Christians have done that in the past. Let's just be honest. We can, we can do that from time to time. But we also don't need to be spineless and just accept everything either. We can think critically about things. 
And we can do that without attacking and making other people hate us. That was so good hearing from Pastor Chris. Hope you got something out of that. At this time, we're going to jump over to our West Side region and hear from Clint Reddy, who's going to be interviewed by Alex and Joy. How do you know that Christianity, following Jesus, like how do you know that's the way, if you will? Okay, that's a good question. Um, like I told you, my uh, undergraduate degree was in religious studies, so you know I have a comparative religion degree, if you will, and ha- had a chance to study a number of other faith traditions. And um, I- I'm, I'm kind of going to answer this question non-traditionally. Okay, that's why you're here. Okay, that's <laughs> so. Um, w- when you ask me, how do I know? Um, my honest response to that is I don't. And the reason for that is because um, I believe it's true. And the whole idea of having faith in a particular um, person, that person being Jesus for us that are followers of him, um, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Okay? Um, The opposite of faith is certainty. Now, the reason I can say that is because um, certainty in terms of w- what it's asking you to, to essentially uphold is the fact that everything's, everything's done. And, and faith, if you're truly going to have faith, faith is the realization that we can't know it all. In other words, that God and who he is has so much mystery surrounding him the, that the faith element of what he's inviting us into is the is admitting the fact that I, I don't really know 100%. But my faith is going to carry me beyond where I think I can go. And, and, and this whole idea of, of why I'm a follower of Jesus, when you look at all the other different religious um, platforms that are out there, and if I don't really know, then how come you're not doing the other, or this one or that one or the other one? And, and it's, it's because when I decide to really commit to the life that Jesus invites us to live, if I truly try to follow him in his ways, where I lay down myself, where I decide to love my enemies, where I decide to give out of almost the nothing that I have, to give sacrificially, to give beyond measure, uh, when I decide to place my hope and trust in a God that I believe is good, all those kinds of things, when I actually live that life intentionally, it changes who I am and it changes the world. And so, you know, the, the, there's this whole idea in, in the study of philosophy. The, there's, a, there's a piece of philosophy called epistemology. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, epistua, which means to believe or to have faith. Um, and it's basically the study of knowledge, the study of how you know what you're supposed to know. And the, there's a segment of that school of thought that's about theories of truth and all the different ways that we can assign truth to particular statements or particular propositions. And oftentimes you and I have grown up in an epistemological framework that leverages a theory of truth called correspondence theory. So basically, I know something is true whether or not I can correspond uh, another event that, uh, that verifies that it happened. So for example, if, um, if, if you were to tell me that the proposition that you're sharing or the truth statement or the potential truth statement you're sharing with me is that you're drinking Dasani water. Right? So let's just suggest that that's what you told me. And I can clearly see that based on the branding that's in front of me, that that's not Dasani. 
It's no, Kirkland. It's Kirkland. Yeah. So your statement is not corresponding with, the, with what's observable in terms of what I see. And so based on that theory of truth, I can actually assign that as a false statement. When we think about our, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the truth that I think God invites us into is less about correspondence, even though that's part of it, and it's more about prag- pragmatism. So there's another piece of truth called pragmatic truth. And basically what that's suggesting is when you apply those propositions or those beliefs or those things to your life, do you actually see the results? And so when I think of living the life of Jesus, the living the life that he invites us into, and if I decide to forgive my wife on the spot when we have an argument and she or I cross the line in whatever way, and when I decide to lead with forgiveness rather than with retribution, and I notice all of a sudden that things get better, Jesus in that moment is proving the truth of who he is. Because the life of what he's inviting me into, when I live it out in praxis, it shows. And so the truth, I think, of Christianity and the truth of Jesus is most poignant, not in its correspondence to the propositions, if you will, but in its lived outness. Like this whole idea that if you decide to compelling. And so for me, I, I do not, I, I hate getting into debates about the propositional aspects of Christianity. And let's debate this about God and this about Jesus and this about the Holy Spirit. I'm not discounting those things as valuable as we think about what it means to be people that can defend our faith. But ultimately, when we put on Jesus, they're outside of our lived nature almost. And we watch the ripple effect of that in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our how in our homes, in our families, that is the litmus test. That's what proves it for me that it's legit. So the, the, pragma, the pragmatic truth that comes from being the person of Jesus, being like the person of Jesus, is ultimately why, even though I can't tell you 100% that I know that I know that I know, I have faith that it's there, and the life that I live or try to live is proving it out. It's amazing. Uh, the next question, we'll just roll right into it, but the next question we got was, it, it's somewhat related, but um, it's kind of the idea of, like, the voice of God, right? I think we, we talk about that in church, like, I heard God's voice, and then I did this. Like, for you, how do you um, work out this idea of hearing God's voice, or how do you hear the voice of God, or what is that? What is that, you know, what does God's voice sound like, you know? When I was like 10, I asked my parents what God's voice sounded like, and they were like, I don't know. So just talk about that. Okay, like, yeah, that's good. I, I've, I've, never, I've never heard the audible voice of God, so I, I can't answer that question. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's one of the most, uh, it's, it's one of the questions that probably stirs in so many of us that are followers of Jesus. And the reason that it's, it's such an important question that we're trying to wrestle through is because we want to follow what Jesus wants us to do. And we believe that we serve a God that's active in our world. In other words, that he's not just out there transcendent beyond all means that we can't interact with him, that part of who he is is accessible, which is, again, the, the, an idea about God that shatters all conventions, you know, the, the, if we were to just think of God from a philosophical perspective, what we've done is we've elevated him so far beyond human interactivity that he does become a man in the sky. But we as Christians um, hold this crazy idea that the God who is all-powerful and almighty and all the different aspects that, to the nth degree that he can be, that for some reason he decides to 
you know, the, the kind of theological word would be tabernacle among us. In other words, that he would set up shop here. He would dwell here. He would be here. As Christians today, we believe that his presence goes as far granular as he lives in us. That there's this idea that a, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. And that the, the temple of God no longer is a building or some sort of edifice, but it becomes the human body. So Christians carry some pretty wild ideas about who God is, but it's, it's all based on this conviction that we believe that even though God is all those nth degree things, all powerful, almighty, all loving, all fill in the blank, that that doesn't make him inaccessible to us that aren't those things. In other words, we aren't all knowing uh, or all powerful or all whatever. You know, we're, we're the opposite of those things, but yet God decides to relate to us, commune with us. And so as a result, one of the felt questions that we ask is not a question that some religions ask. So in other words, we're asking the question, how do we know that God speak, speaks to us? He's got his perspectives to be like, he's got no business speaking to you. You're a human being. He's got better things to do. So the fact that you and I in the first place get to ask the question is a pretty remarkable thing. Now, and now it, now it becomes... It, for me to give you a, a, a rubric on how to know if you're hearing from God from, or not, I, that's really hard. Because sometimes God's going to say things that we're supposed to do or that he may want us to do that, that you know, buck all the conventions of what we think. And we're like, no way God would tell you to do that. Or God may ask you to do something and you're like, well, that seems kind of safe. He just wants me to sit right here and wait. You know, and, and it's like, in, in every scenario, it's not like you can be like, God is speaking to you when it's the most radical. So just do the most radical thing. Or God is speaking to you when it's kind of the most at home. And he just wants to, he wants you to rest and he's going to take care of you. Like some scenarios he's speaking to you one way. Other scenarios he's speaking to you in another way. How have you grown your intimacy with God? Like you're just like... You talked about community, like having community, like yep. your faith being community. How have you grown like your deep relationship with God or even like your relationship with the Holy Spirit in your life? Um, yeah. Could you just talk a little bit about that and how to like cultivate like an authenticity um, and a genuineness and even just like a compassion and fire for God and for the will of God and the kingdom of God? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think when we think about the authenticity of faith, there are, I think it sits on a three-legged stool. And so one part is that we engage God with our intellect, our minds. We kind of, we want to think like Jesus thought. Uh, second way is we engage him with our hearts. Uh, there's an expressiveness, there's an emotive feeling that we have, or connection we have with God. And so we want to feel like Jesus feels. And then the third is 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 praxis oriented, this idea that we want to do as he did. And so there's a living out of our faith. And so for me personally, my, um, uh, I'm drawn to God most naturally on the mind side or on the intellect side. So for me, kind of read, reading scripture or listening to a lecture or a sermon, and all of a sudden when I start to engage with the nature of God and trying to think how Jesus thought about him, uh, I'm naturally drawn to that as a way to deepen, if you will, a connection with him. And what I've realized, though, is that when you only lean on one uh, leg of the stool, you have, uh, your faith is 
strong in that component, but it's weak in the others. And so what's helped me deepen a more robust perspective of faith is to engage with my faith in areas where I'm not always naturally given. And that's where community to me is really valuable. So surrounding myself with people that have a feeling as Jesus feels strength. And they, they draw the most energy from being in a worship service or, you know, or doing something where they, they like, they feel it like God is there. And I'm like, man, I, sometimes it's so hard for me to feel it, but that's just as real as when I think it, you know? And so to, and so I'm deepening my faith by giving myself space to feel God more than I normally would. And then the doing part, like, you know, I have tons of friends that are like, you can think all the right things you want and feel great. You can lift your hands in a worship service, but if you're not doing anything, like, what's the point? And, and I'm challenged by that. I'm like, okay, like, you're exactly right. Like, God invites us to enact what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I, that's how I'm naturally given to the thinking, and I need some help on the feeling and the doing. And I'm deepening my faith easily when I think, but it will, it'll cap. And so for me to actually grow stronger on, and to kind of position myself on that stool of authenticity... Um, I need some people around me to pull me in some other directions. Yeah. And so I think that could be a great application for many of us as we think about what it means. Am I the doer? Am I the thinker? Am I the feeler? And I, and I don't think that's a negative thing to realize that all of us probably have a little bit of an inclination one way or the other. But then to realize that the communities that we're a part of, God, God surrounds us in his mercies with people that are going to help us balance our faith, if you will, and deepen our faith in ways that are going to make it robust, authentic, and sturdy stools. It's a compelling faith that people are drawn to, and it's a faith that um, hits all of who we are, you know, our head, our heart, and our hands, if you will. One of the things that is going to be unprecedented uh, in our lifetime is that the number of Christians that live below the equator will surpass the number of Christians that live above the equator next year. So in 2020, for the first time in world history, more Christians will live in South America, Africa, and Asia than they will in North America and Europe. And what's going to happen with that turn is in the next uh, 10 to 15 years, there's going to be responses to the questions that we've even asked tonight that'll come from a social and cultural location different than ours. It'll come from people that have been oppressed for a lot of their lives. It'll come from people that have never had a say for a lot of their lives in terms of global perspective and thought. And we're likely gonna engage with perspective and answers or responses that may seem a bit wrong to us because they weren't the ones we grew up with. And all I wanna suggest is that we leave room for that. That we take the position of humility that says, maybe we can learn from those who may not have had voices in the past. And there's something that you and I can grow from by actually engaging with perspective that isn't something that we normally hear. And I think God is drawn to that. He's drawn to margins. He's drawn to people on the outskirts. You think of the whole narrative of the Old Testament. He chose a people group in bondage and in slavery and said, I'm going to trust you with redeeming the world. And then Jesus does it again, and he picks some fishermen and a couple tax collectors and some uneducated boys. And he says, I think I'm going to leave the world to you. And the centers of power at the time were confused. You didn't choose the Pharisees. You didn't choose the Roman elite. Now, Paul comes on the scene, and he's a great example of someone who was learned that kind of helped bring the gospel to other places. 
but he, the people he spent the most amount of time with were people on the margins. And I think that's an important thing for us to just hold in our spirits as we continue to learn about him, is that we can learn a lot from the people that normally don't sit in seats like this. Wow, that is so true from Clint, talking about how Jesus spent time with the people on the margins. And that's really the truth of what the gospel is and who Jesus was. And um, such a great reminder for us. I hope you were challenged by uh, Pastor Chris and Clint from what they talked about. And uh, I encourage you to check back in as we will be hearing from Dr. Alan Tennyson uh, from North Central University. The conversation we had was amazing. You can check it out on YouTube as well. Um, River Valley 20 plus on YouTube. The interview and excerpts from our interview with Dr. Alan Tennyson are up there and they'll be up on the podcast shortly. Um, So looking forward to that and we'll see you next time on the 20 plus podcast.